In a world of conflicting values, when questions are more common than answers, God's Word provides everything we need to live a God-centered, truth-driven life. Now, here's the Word for Life broadcast, brought to you by Brookside Baptist Church. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Word for Life. My name is Scott Sander. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm joined by our senior pastor, Pastor Ken Keltner, as we're going through the book of Revelation. We've got a lot of things happening at Brookside Baptist Church. If you're in need of a church home, we'd love to have you come out. Men, tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, we have our monthly men's breakfast um, at 7.30, and uh, one of our other pastors, Pastor Wade, will be speaking on Psalm 94.12, blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord. So men, if you want to come out and be fed spiritually as well as physically with a, a nice hearty breakfast, we would welcome you. And believe it or not, we're talking about Easter already as it's March 1st. So we'd love to invite you out at the end of this month to our Good Friday Cantata on March 29th. This will be at 6 p.m. It'll highlight both of our adults and children's choirs. It'll be a wonderful time. And then on Easter Sunday, we have uh, our services at 9 and 10.30, and there'll also be breakfast being served that morning as well. So we'd love to have you out and join us for that. And it's it's not too early to start thinking about next year either. We have a wonderful trip planned to Israel that's going to be February 22nd through March 6th of 2025. Dr. Craig Hartman, who's the director of Shalom Ministries, will be leading that. If you're interested in joining us, we'd recommend you call Brookside Baptist Church Office at 262-783-6180. Well, as I said, we've been going through the book of Revelation. We're calling this the beginning of the end. And we're in chapters two and three right now in our study. We're looking at the various letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And each one of these churches has something going on. And and Pastor Ken challenged us all to read these and be thinking about which church reflects our own church, and maybe more importantly, which church would we like to be a part of or have represent us? We looked at the church of Ephesus, and a key theme there was love. They had lost their first love, but Jesus called them back to that. And we're going to be studying the church at Smyrna, the second church, and the the key theme is suffering. And I recall our Lord's words in John 15, Verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is, this is a message that we ought to expect, Pastor Ken, this, this suffering, the, the opposition from the world system. And you know, really, uh, Pastor Scott, we haven't had to suffer much here in America, but suffering has uh, really been a a theme um, throughout church history. Mm -hmm. And as we pick it up here in chapter two with this church at Smyrna, uh, I think really suffering, persecution, and martyrdom has really been the, the calling of the church of the Lord Jesus through our entire history. I don't know if you've ever read the, the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. At one time, it was a perennial bestseller, and it was cataloging for us the stories of men and women who have given their life for Christ Jesus. And 
Today, uh, there's a magazine out called The Voice of the Martyrs, and it, it updates us on some of the persecution and suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, Open Doors is another ministry that also lets us know what's happening around the world. Uh, even Time Magazine reported the number of Christian martyrs doubled between 2010 and 2013. And again, Nigeria, which was in the news and uh, you know several years ago, was the the main target of persecution. It was Syria in 2013. Iran, Rwanda, North Korea, and the Sudan are not far behind. And it's been estimated that 100 to 150 million Christians have been martyred every year in recent decades. Some estimate that 65% of all those martyrs have taken place since the dawn of the 20th century. That came from a, a news agency. But my friends, the truth of the matter is that more people have died for their faith in Christ Jesus in the 20 and 21st centuries than all the previous years of church history. And living living in America, we don't see that. No. We kind of are blind to that because, as you said, we're not experiencing that level of persecution here yet. Yeah, yeah, that's the key, Pastor Scott. And even those figures don't even take into account those that have been imprisoned, tortured, and persecuted. And you're right. If the Lord should tarry, the hammer of persecution might begin to pound even believers here in America. And, and at times, it seems like our government is more anti-Christian. I mean, we live in an anti-God culture as it is. And so, friends, if the Lord tarries, that persecution and that suffering might really be in our living rooms. It might be confronting us in our communities, even in our churches. I think each of us need to understand that what it is that keeps people faithful unto death um, is the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, He is our example. He suffered he was persecuted. Uh, he was put on that cross, and he did all of that to pay for our sins. Amen. And um, I think what Jesus has done in our eyes, as the writer of Hebrews says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Uh, I think that's greater to us than even the reality of, of death itself. That that's how martyrs have, you know, they, they focus on Jesus even when they're tied to the stake to be burnt. I think there's four impactful truths here about Jesus in regard to this persecuted church. Who he is uh, in verse 8 is, I think, is impactful. Uh, what he knows, verse 9, uh, what he commands in verse 10, and what he promises in verse 11. So let's look at this first uh, impactful truth, who he is. Verse 8, Jesus tells John to write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, before we, we kind of get in more of the context of the letter, let me make a few comments about where this church ministered. It was in the city of Smyrna, which is today uh, modern-day Izmir, uh, which is in western Turkey. It, by the way, is the only one of the seven cities of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, that's really still in existence today uh, as it was. Smyrna was located about... 35, 40 miles north of Ephesus. Again, Ephesus was really kind of the mother church. That was the church the Apostle Paul started there in the, on his first missionary trip in, in the book of Acts. Um, it would have been uh, really, uh, if they were delivering the mail, the next stop for the postman uh, as he made these rounds to deliver these seven letters. Back then, the Romans actually called Smyrna 
the beauty of Asia, and it referred to it as a city of life, a city of strength, possibly because it had been destroyed once and then rebuilt by Alexander the Great. I mean, Smyrna had a stadium in which famous games were held each year. It had a magnificent library and one of the largest theaters in Asia Minor. Plus, it claimed to be the birthplace of Homer. Yes, yes, that Homer who wrote all those books about Greek history. And what's important to understand about Smyrna is the fact that it was a a city very, very loyal to Rome. Their reverence for Rome was so strong that in 195 BC, Smyrna was the first city in the world to erect a temple to the goddess Roma, a temple for the worship of the spirit of Rome. (laughs) And then in AD 26, when all the cities of Asia Minor were competing for the privilege of erecting a temple to the godhead of the emperor Tiberius, Smyrna won. And with that, Smyrna overcame her greatest rival, Ephesus. What's interesting, uh, friends, is in the beginning, emperor worship was nothing more than a spontaneous demonstration of gratitude, I guess you could call it patriotism, to Rome. But toward the end of the first century, it all changed under the rule of Domitian, who was Caesar of Rome. Domitian made Caesar worship mandatory. He made emperor worship law all over uh, all over the world, and if, if any city was to take this kind of law seriously, it would be a city like Smyrna that had such a love affair with the Roman Empire. I mean, I think it's important for you to understand all of this in our study, because once a year, every person had to burn a pinch of incense and say three words, Caesar is Lord. Huh. And you had to say it out loud. And when they did this, they would receive a certificate a certificate that was required to get a job and make a living. Pastor Scott, I don't know if we're that far away uh, from uh, you know, having something uh, that provides people the ability to um, get a job or even to buy and sell. It doesn't feel like a, a far bridge to cross. It sure doesn't. Point. Years ago, I'm sure when people were studying this, they were like, man, alive, that seems like I can't even imagine something like that. And sometimes we're, our culture wants to do it voluntarily. We're voluntarily worshiping a lot of our political figures these days. Exactly. And Domitian, wanted, he wanted worship, but he was a murderous dictator who launched extensive persecution against the church, which reached some kind of fever pitch in the city of Smyrna, for believers were unwilling to make this claim to actually say Caesar is Lord. Can you imagine sitting among the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a very cold Sunday morning before sunrise? Yet you have maybe that little small lamp lit room, you know, that's in a small house and and there sitting around, barely you can see them, is the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. I mean, in the dim light, the pastor uh, unrolls a scroll and he begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. And the entire group seems to hold its breath when they hear the message comes from the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. Well, I mean, what a letter of encouragement this would be then and what it would be for us now. For Jesus tells them, he tells us who he is. He's the first and the last. We read these things, says the first and the last. Jesus repeats this description of himself from Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 the first, and the last. If you turn to Isaiah 41, there's one verse uh, there in 
verse 4 of Isaiah 41, which reads, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. You have Isaiah 43.10, Isaiah 44.6, Isaiah 48.12 are all places where God uses this same expression to identify himself. And so here in Revelation, that same title is used to designate Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, that last chapter in Revelation, Jesus began by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is to say then that Jesus Christ is none other, my friends, than God himself. And yet though they be one, he is distinct. Jesus is the infinite, by infinite we mean limitless, God-man. You remember what Thomas said, seeing him as resurrected for the first time when he put his fingers into the hand of Jesus and his hand into the side of Jesus? He said, my Lord and my God. My friends, don't ever forget, Jesus is God, come in the flesh. Join us for our next session here with this church at Smyrna. We're going to see what else Jesus has to say specifically about himself. Have a great day, and the Lord bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have a question we can answer, or would like information on the Word for Life, would like to donate to continue to produce this broadcast, or need resources for your Christian walk, contact us at Brookside Baptist Church, 4470 North Pilgrim Road, Brookfield, Wisconsin, 53005. You can also visit us at brooksidebc.org. That's brooksidebc.org. Or call us at 262-783-6180. That's 262-783-6180. Thanks for listening today, and please tune in again as we bring the Word of God to your life.